1700 hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Spumela Lezonde and I am with Joala Netulo, Wisane Matebula and Musibu Dimakura. Your top stories. King Mohammed VI of Morocco kicks off his three-day visit to Tanzania. The Zimbabwean government has issued a cholera and typhoid alert. Parliamentary Chief Whip of South Africa's ruling party, Jackson Tembu, has caused a political stir after he called on the ANC's National Executive Committee to resign for the problems facing the ruling party. In sports, celebrations continue after Mamelo de Sundance triumph in the CAF Champions League. Jola Netulo has your news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. The African Union Commission Chairperson Kosazana Dlamini Zuma says South Africa is within its rights to leave the International Criminal Court. She was reacting to Pretoria's decision to leave the court. Justice Minister Michael Masuta made the announcement on Friday. The country's diplomats have notified the UN of the decision after accusing the ICC of being biased against African countries. The notice of withdrawal highlights the situation South Africa faced last year when it came under pressure to arrest Sudanese President Omar al Bashir at an AU summit in Johannesburg. Al Bashir is wanted by the ICC for alleged war crimes. Lamini Zuma says AU member states affiliate to the, to the ICC on a voluntary basis. More than 100 people have been injured after two passenger trains collided head-on east of Johannesburg in South Africa. One person has been killed. Paramedics say the exact number of patients on the scene are unknown due to the number of emergency services on the scene. The cause of the collision is not yet known. Meanwhile, in Cameroon, the death toll in last week's train crash has climbed to 79 after rescuers finished combing through the wreckage. Eleven more bodies were pulled from the debris yesterday. The train derailed on Friday. Friday. More than 500 people were injured. It was crammed with people because a collapsed bridge made travelling the same route by road impossible. President Paul Beer has called for a probe into the train crash. Burundi's government has withdrawn permits from a procurement from a prominent rather human rights organization and several other non-profit groups accusing them of stirring up hatred and tarnishing the nation's image. The order is reportedly from the Interior Ministry. NGOs and other groups have often been accused of taking sides against the government in a political crisis since last year over President Pierre Kurunziza's election for a third term. Among those whose permits were withdrawn was the Association for the Protection of Human Rights and Detained Persons, run by prominent activist Pierre Clava Mbonimpa. Mbonimpa survived an, assass- an assassination attempt by unidentified government last year and fled from Europe where he remains. He and other activists have criticized the president for seeking a third term, accusing him of violating the constitution in a peace deal that ended the civil war in 2005. Zambia marks its 52nd independence anniversary. The former British colony is commemorating the day under the theme Consolidating Our Independence and National Unity for a Smart Zambia. The nation's president, Edgar Lungu, says the theme is not only appropriate, but also a timely reminder that Zambia is a country on the move to prosperity. 
And finally, the United Nations marks the entry into force in 1945 of the UN Charter. With the ratification of this founding document by the majority of its signatories, including the five permanent members of the Security Council, the UN officially came into being. October 24th has been celebrated as UN Day since 1948 to raise awareness on the aims and achievements of the organization. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Chulo. Seventeen oh five Central African Time right here in Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now King Mohammed the Sixth of Morocco kicks off his three day visit to Tanzania today. The visit comes three months after Morocco announced its intention to return to the African Union. The royal visit is aimed at fostering cooperation between the private sector from both Morocco and Tanzania in areas of common interest, such as joint ventures, opportunities, exchange of information, as well as finding ways to benefit more from the opportunities presented by original markets. Gabriel Zakaria reports from Dar es Salaam. The Majesty from Morocco, accompanied by more than 150 delegates, including government officials, businessmen and members of his family, is jetting Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, around 4 p.m. East African time, from Rwanda, where he spent a three-day visit and signing a series of agreements. This is the first time for Tanzania to receive a king from any other country and this brings expectations of its own kind. According to diplomatic analyst Dr. Bernard Achiula, a senior lecturer at Mzumbe University in Dar es Salaam, who points out that the visit is so important economically to Tanzania. First, it is an honor for Tanzania to have such a, uh, an important visitor. You know, the king of Morocco is a person who, who, tra- who does travel a lot. Secondly, uh, I think it is, a, it is a, yes, yes, it shows respect to our president Magufuli to choose to visit him. And you know, he coming with a big, big delegation of investors and, and the businessmen, and the Tanzania will definitely profit in the area of agriculture, gas, uh, uh, in, the, in the, I think there is a train to be built from, from Chuchuma and the Liganga, and the, even the area of tourism, you know, Morocco is extremely... Uh, developed in, in this area. So it, it is a chance for us, Tanzania, to have agreement with the, with the Morocco for the development of our country, especially in the, 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 the five government uh, politics of, the, of uh, economic diplomacy. This is a typical case of economic diplomacy. According to the Minister of Foreign Affairs and East African Cooperation, Dr. Augustine Mahiga explains that during the visit, more than 18 agreements involving different sectors will be signed and witnessed by King Mohammed of the Sikhs and his host, President John Magufuli. Apart from holding talks with Dr. Magufuli, the king will also expect to meet with the Zanzibari President, Dr. Ali Mohammed Chain. <laughs> His High Majesty will do a visit of three days in the country following an invitation accorded to him by His Excellency President Dr. John Magufuli. His tour begins from October 23rd to 25th and during the tour he will have a number of meetings with his counterpart 
President uh, Dr. John Magufuli before he travels to Zanzibar to meet with uh, Zanzibar President Dr. Ali Mohamed Shein. He will then spend a five days holiday in Tanzania with his family as a tourist now and he will visit some national parks in northern part of Tanzania before he calls off his tour. Dr. Mahiga told reporters that it will be a great opportunity for Tanzania and Morocco to strengthen bilateral ties and create opportunities for the people in the two African countries. Dr. Mahiga mentioned the areas of cooperation between the two countries as including foreign relations, security, finance sector, notably on banking and insurance, infrastructure, particularly energy, education, investments and private sector development. We shall use this opportunity to talk with the Moroccan delegation and the new Tanzania has always maintained his position to solve problems in a peaceful manner. So I think we, we are in the position to talk to them and uh, they will understand us, we understand them and the, our aim is to find a peace and permanent solution for Morocco, for Sahara, for, for Africa as whole. So I think we should take this as a chance and opportunity Investment agreements are expected to exceed 2 billion US dollars, about 4 trillion Tanzanian shillings in different areas, before adding up his official tour on October 25th, but will remain in the country with his family for five more days as part of his holiday. The monarch is expected to seize such opportunity to visit other tourist areas including Zanzibar. Dr. Mahiga disclosed further that another purpose for the king's visit related to seeking support for Morocco to join back the African Union. Diplomatic analyst Dr. Bernard Achula explains more the impact of Tanzania to welcome Morocco's plan to join the membership. He knows that Tanzania holds a high respect among other African states and if you want to achieve something, then, oh, you start with, with Tanzania because we are known for, for our, our culture. We have always been Pan-Africanism. And uh, I think it is an honor for us, Tanzania, to know that, you know, even King Morocco knows that, you know, since our Malmier was the founder, father of African unity, it will be ideal to come here and start my, my coming back to the family in Tanzania. Morocco was among founder countries of the defunct Organization of African Union, or AU, before it changed its name to African Union AU. Morocco withdrew from membership of the regional cooperation many years ago, but now they want to come back. Tanzania says it has no reason of not endorsing its support to Morocco. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. The Zimbabwean government has issued a cholera and typhoid alert following serious water shortages that have hit the capital Harare and other areas as a result of El Nino-induced drought. Health and Child Care Minister says the water shortage throughout the country has become an emergency since it impacted on sanitation. Depressed dam levels have seen some local authorities introducing water rationing. Someone Muchema is in Harare. Water shortages in Zimbabwe have reached critical levels such that health officials now fear of disease outbreaks such as cholera when the first rains drop. Most water sources in the country have dried up and residents have to use dirty and muddy water for drinking. The current water shortage is said to be the worst in 25 years and could have been 
as a result of one of the severe droughts last season that affected the entire region. The El Nino phenomenon resulted in very low rainfall and poor harvests. However, Dr. David Parrenyatwa, Health Minister, says the current water shortage could be a health time bomb. We, we are very, very concerned about the severe water shortages in the countries, actually throughout the country, both in the urban areas and in the rural areas. And people are resorting to using very, very uh, uh, scarce resources, even where there are sh- shallow wells, where it's really muddy water. Yeah? In that muddy water, you can just guess what sort of um, organisms and infections are there. So we're very worried that this is the time when if there's any flash of, of rain, like a flash flood, this is what triggers things like typhoid, like cholera, diarrheal diseases. So we, we are very, very concerned about this transition period where there's no water and at the same time we're expecting rains. So it's a, it's a critical period where our populations must be made alert, very alert to the issue of those infectious uh, communicable uh, diseases. The acute water shortages are being experienced at a time when the country has recorded a record high temperatures. The scorching heat has resulted in increased water demand, hence water rationing by most local authorities such as Harare, who would only avail water for only two days in a week. Water Minister Opam Chinguri said during the week. The entire Sadak region is currently battling its worst drought in 25 years as a result of El Nino that affected most parts of Southern Africa. And due to this phenomenon, most parts of the country received below normal rainfall during the 2015-16 season, leading to low dam storage levels at the end of the season. Depressed dam levels have seen some local authorities, including water rationing schedules, while groundwater levels have also been declining due to the limited recharge this year. As a result, areas such as Gokwe, Bohera, Dotito, Maranda, Sanietsen, Cholocho have recorded water tables lower than 100 meters as compared to a normal water table of around 80 meters. With national dam storage averaging 41%, authorities are failing to avail potable water, raising fears of yet another cholera outbreak like the one in 2008 and 2009 that killed 4,000 people. The high temperatures currently obtaining in the country has also triggered an increase in water demand across the country. During this time of high temperatures, significant amounts of water are lost through evaporation from our surface water, bodies such as dams, wells, rivers and lakes. As of today, October 21, 2016, national dam storage levels are averaging 41.9%, which is 20.4% percentage points below the normal average of 62.3% for this this time of the year. Mashingo dams have the lowest averaging 21%, while Mashonaland West dams have the highest percentage of 73%. As a result of the water shortages, the water minister has warned the president is putting mechanism in place to declare a national disaster. And in terms of Water Act, 
chapter 20, subsection 24, uh, it says, All water is vested in the President of Zimbabwe. And guided by this same act, uh, I'm currently consulting uh, with Cabinet, seeking uh, to declare the whole country a water shortage area. Meanwhile, as water shortages persist, some unscrupulous elements are allegedly drawing water from national sources illegally for sale to the desperate residents. Water is life, and as they say, where there is need, there is a way. Water has now become a major source of income in Zimbabwe. The illegal bulk water drawers and all water poachers be warned. And as I come to the end of this brief, let me register that my ministry is very concerned about the high level of siltation of water bodies across the country. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwam. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1717 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are still listening to Africa Digest, and my name is Pumela Lezondi. I'm with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Please find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One on Twitter. Now, the United Nations is today marking the entry into force in 1945 of the UN Charter. With the ratification of this founding document by the majority of its signatories, including the five permanent and members of the Security Council, the United Nations officially came into being. October 24 has been celebrated as UN Day since 1948 to raise awareness on the aims and achievements of the organization. For more on the significance of this day, here's Zinat Abdul of the United Nations Information Center in Pretoria. So today we are celebrating 71 years of the official entry into force of the UN Charter. And 24th of October has been celebrated as United Nations Day since 1948. And in 1971, the United Nations General Assembly recommended that the day be observed by member states as a public holiday. This year's UN Day specifically will be used to highlight concrete actions people can take to help achieve the Sustainable Development Goals, which I'm sure you and I are going to be chatting about very soon. Definitely. Speaking of the development agenda, it's been a year since UN member states adopted mm-hmm. the 17 Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs. Now let's reflect on the UN's role in advancing this global development agenda. So the SDGs came into effect actually last year following the MDGs and you will remember that the MDGs were a set of goals that were meant to be achieved by 2015 that is member states achieving or assisting each other in achieving the, the MDGs. Following that we've adopted the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and the 17 goals are basically the goals that we are trying to further with regards to how best to enrich people's lives. And we're talking about simple, basic goals that 
everyone can understand in terms of no poverty, zero hunger, access to quality education, reducing inequalities, gender equality, strong partnerships and institutions, and, and so on to name a few. And uh, on the 1st of January 2016, which is this year, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, uh, which was adopted last year, it officially came into force actually in January this year. And over the next 15 years, with these new goals that universally apply to all, countries are expected to mobilize efforts to end all forms of poverty and inequalities and also tackle climate change. But of course, at the back of this is ensuring that no one is left behind. And the SGs build on the successes of the Millennium Development Goals and aim to go further to end all forms of poverty. And they're unique in the sense that they call for action by all countries, poor, rich and middle income, to promote prosperity while protecting the planet, which I'm sure you know is a very, very big concern, the issue of climate change. It also recognizes that ending poverty must go hand in hand with strategies that build economic growth and addresses a range of social needs, including education, health, social protection, job opportunities, and of course environmental protection as well. They're not legally binding, but governments are expected to take ownership and establish national frameworks for the achievement of these goals. Zinet, what would you say are some of the key challenges confronting the UN in its endeavors to help member states achieve its development agenda? Well, I think, you know, the, the SDGs, first and foremost, are promoting human rights. And we all know that with poverty comes a degree of indignity, or people feel as if they don't have enough dignity, or, you know, there's the vulnerability, or the prospect of being vulnerable and abused or exploited. So it to its initial goals of safeguarding peace, protecting human rights, establishing the framework for international justice, and promoting economic and social progress. In the six and a half decades since the creation, the United Nations has added on new challenges such as climate change, international terrorism, and of course HIV. And of course, um, you know, while conflict resolution and peacekeeping continue to be among its most visible efforts, the UN, along with its specialized agencies, also engages in a wide array of activities to improve people's lives around the world. And this includes disaster relief through education and advancement of women to also uh, peaceful uses of atomic energy. And, you know, I mean, you must also understand that the UN is the world's only truly universal global organization and has become the foremost forum to address issues that transcend national boundaries. And we also acknowledge that it cannot be resolved by any one country acting alone. So obviously promoting regional communication and interaction or integration at every level and communication and, and collaboration at every level. Zinat, another recent development, the Global Migration Agency, IOM, joined um, the United Nations. A timely move as we witness a global crisis of large movements of people. Let's reflect on the significance of this merger, especially for this current crisis of migration and refugees that we're facing. Absolutely. So let me first give you a little bit of history with regards to the IOM. So 65 years ago, in December 1951, the IOM was founded after the upheaval of the World War II, when vast numbers of people were on the move to better their lives. And IOM's decision to join the UN system comes as more of the world's people are on the move than ever before, as you've rightly said in your question. And it's believed that one in every seven people on the planet is now migrant, and 65 million of these are forced migrants and refugees. And I think when we look at the issue of migrants, and refugees in South Africa knows very well the situation that they're currently dealing with at the moment in terms of the number of people that are coming into South Africa, either as migrants or refugees. And, you know, in some instances, we must be very, very clear that people don't leave their countries out of choice. In many cases, it's out of necessity. And part of having the significant merger of IOM, formally acknowledged now, formally part of the United Nations, also comes as we have just concluded in September, the 19th of September to be exact, the 
UN Summit on Refugees and Migrants. And it comes at a time when global perception of migrants are increasingly negative, unfortunately. And the summit focused on world attention and the fact that the challenges faced by migrants are not problems to be solved, but realities to be managed. You know, we're also talking about issues of migration governance and the protection of refugees, which is deeply embedded in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And they're looking at how can we manage migration in terms of facilitating orderly, safe, regular, and responsible migration through planned and well-managed migration policies. The UN has also just recently launched the Together campaign to empower and to inform people that, you know, the issue of migrants and refugees, it's an issue that needs to be tackled by everybody. You know, we need to sensitize and we need to inform and educate the public and, and countries that are hosting migrants and refugees about some of the challenges that these migrants and refugees actually face and how can we integrate them into our society. But also there needs to be regulations, there needs to be a proper process that's in place. I mean, South Africa knows very well about the xenophobic violence of 2008 and 2012, and we need to prevent such instances from happening. Zina Tabdul is the National Information Officer at the United Nations Information Center in Pretoria, and she was in conversation there with Jane Rabotata. Despite their efforts by the South African government to promote a fair and transparent credit market to protect consumers and their rights, there are still illegal creditors taking advantage of those who are blacklisted. The South African Office of the Credit Ombud has dealt with many cases of reckless lending, overcharging of interest, fee and debt collection issues. The office warns consumers against being lured into agreements with unlawful providers. More from the South African Deputy Ombudsman at the Credit Office of the Ombuds, Rihanna Stein. Blacklisted is really an unfortunate term and a misnomer. People refer to it when they are negative information about them on the credit bureaus as being blacklisted. But, you know, consumers should realize that there's positive information as well. Everybody is listed on the bureau and then the information, if it's correct, there's some good, some bad. But unfortunately, people just know about this term, they blacklist it. It's not necessarily a correct terminology to use. With that being said, when a consumer receives loan offers, even if they blacklist, listed. What is the first thing that a consumer must do? Well, I think consumers must be warned that they shouldn't fall for this trap because it looks like this is now somebody who's there to help them. The other people turn them down because they are listed with negative information on the bureau, being that they didn't pay their previous debt. And here's somebody who wants to offer them a loan. So it makes consumers feel that here's somebody who's prepared to help them. The problem is that these people, if they advertise blacklisted consumers welcome, they're already breaching the law. So they're not complying with the laws. It's unlikely that they are going to comply with the rest of the law, which regulates interest rates and how they must do collections, how they must treat the consumer, the contracts they must provide. I think one can assume that the consumer is not going to get the benefit of all the good laws as well. What are the phrases in the text that should raise an alarm for the consumer? Well, it could be a text. It's also adverts on lampposts, you know, little handwritten adverts sometimes. And it says blacklisted consumers welcome. The other one that's illegal is no credit checks required. And the other one is free credit. There is no such thing. Let's say a person receives a text. Maybe it seems legitimate and they're very desperate for a loan. Where should they go to check if the creditors are valid? Well, there's a couple of things that they can do to try and verify the details of the creditor. You need to... at least see if they have a contact details and a physical address. If they do not have a physical address, that's already warning signs. There's also the National Credit Regulator. They've got 
the register of all the registered credit providers. You must check if the name of this entity is on their list. So you'll have to go onto the internet or phone up the National Credit Regulator. Are there laws protecting consumers against unregistered creditors? There are laws that try to protect consumers. And for example, one of the laws is it prohibits these credit providers from advertising these things like blacklisted consumers welcome because they know some consumers are desperate and they're going to fall for it. So they make it illegal. They also regulate the interest rates. They regulate the contract terms. But of course, if a credit provider is unregistered, operating unlawfully, somebody will have to catch them out or report them to the regulator. For somebody who is trapped already, who owes these loan sharks, what should they do? Well, I think there are a couple of things that they should do. They should, in any case, first of all, try and get as much detail as they can about this contract. If it's an unregulated loan shock, they can try and port the matter to the National Credit Regulator for them to clamp down on this business. That's if the regulator can find the business to actually take action. Rihanna Stein is the South African Deputy Ombudsman at the Credit Office of the Ombuds, talking to Sihizuma. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. In New Zealand with Jola Netolo. Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines, the African Union Commission Chairperson Kosazana Lamini Zuma says South Africa is within its rights to leave the International Criminal Court. More than 100 people have been injured after two passenger trains collided head-on east of Johannesburg in South Africa. And finally, Burundi's government has withdrawn permits from a prominent human rights organization and several other non-profit groups accusing them of stirring up hatred and tarnishing the nation's image. For Channel Africa, I'm Jodani Tudo. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. 
Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time, and on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. November is Disability Month in South Africa, but should be a continental event. So let's all make a difference. Channel Africa is calling on all to join us to help needy children everywhere. South Africans are being called on to help Channel Africa help 32 children from Tumela Home for the Mentally and Physically Disabled Children in Ivory Park, east of Johannesburg. Make a difference by donating toys, non-perishable foods, disposable nappies and toiletries. Join Channel Africa on the 10th of November as we broadcast live from Tumelo House as we hand out the donations we received. Be with us as we make a difference. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And the program you're listening to is Africa Digest with Ms. Pumela Lezondi with you until 1800 hour Central African time. Info at channelafrica.co.za on email. That is info at channelafrica.co.za if you want to send us emails. If you want to send us tweets, you can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One. You can follow us as well if you wish to do so. You can also send us text messages on SMS plus 27823325905 plus 278. 232-5905 on SMS. Now, today is World Polio Day. Polio eradication partners are celebrating the successes of efforts against polio to date and rallying for the additional support needed to wipe out the disease for good. To speak to us more about this, we're joined on the line by Dr. Tunji Funcho, who's the chairperson of Nigeria's National Polio Plus Committee at Rotary International. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Tunji. Hello, thank you for having me on your program. Mm. Now, uh, could you just tell us about um, where the need is still the strongest when it comes to the fight against polio? Uh, can, you, can you ask that again? Uh, where is the need still a big when it comes to the fight against polio? Where is the problem at the moment? Uh, the, the, the main challenge, you know, that we have really is accessing all children under the age of five. Uh, and we're making a lot of progress in that regard. Um, with the celebration of what today, today uh, we want to remember in particular uh, those uh, people who have lost their lives in, in, in the uh, quest to eradicate polio, either due to accidents or due to... Uh, yeah, go uh, the, the need for us to continue uh, to eradicate polio and put all resources available. So the challenges basically uh, are difficulties in reaching all children, particularly in the northeastern part of the country, due to insurgence, which gradually is coming to an end. And we're able to access uh, much more children than we've been able to do in that area over the past four years. 
Mm. Um, and would you say that health workers in the countries where there is a problem, Nigeria, for example, um, would you say that they know what they need to do should there be an outbreak? I believe so. Uh, we, we're working, you know, with our partners, the uh, UNICEF, uh, CDC, uh, and also they build um, the Gates Foundation, of course, with the support of the Nigerian government, um, you know, to ensure that we reach every child. And we've put all resources to work. And I'm confident that um, with what we have done in the last outbreak responses, uh, last three, uh, by the time we complete, you know, the next two responses next month and in December, uh, we should be able to reach a majority of the children who have not been able to meet uh, mm. and give uh, the oral polio vaccine. Mm. Uh, you recently had a an outbreak in Nigeria, and that happened in August. Um, do you think this is a serious setback? Uh, it, it's not. It's, it's a serious setback only in the sense, you know, that the timeline has been shifted, you know, forward. Uh, but, you know, in a way, it's also an opportunity for us to finally, you know, get strategies in, in, in place and bring out the resources to reach those children who have not been able, to, you know, to reach. Uh, it's a disappointment. That's, that's the word I'll use. Uh, but it's not a major setback for the program because uh, in the past we have been able to eradicate polio even areas of conflict, mm. like in Syria and also, in, you, know, in, you know, Somalia in the past. Mm. Um, and are you getting the assistance that you need? Are there enough resources to deal with this problem? Uh, come again. Are, you, are there enough resources and are you getting the assistance that you need in order for you to deal with this minor setback? Yes, uh, I believe so. Uh, because one of the, the, the encouraging things is that as soon as we had the outbreak, the Nigerian government uh, made available 9.6 billion naira for the outbreak response. Uh, Rotary, you know, have made available through UNICEF and WHO and also the Nigerian National Police Committee uh, a lot of resources to ensure that both the human and material uh, needs are met uh, to meet the adverse response requirement in terms of human capacity and also vaccines and funds, you know, for field workers. Mm. Uh, I'm confident that, you know, right now we, 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 are, we are quite okay with, with resources. Yeah. And as Rotary, maybe if you can just tell us about the role that you play in all of this. Well, um, our role are threefold. Uh, one, which is one of the most important around the world, is advocacy, uh, advocating to government around the world, and also, you know, to private and public individuals. Uh, as to the need, you know, to support the eradication of polio, as to the need to make funds available, which is the next thing uh, that, you know, is part of what we do, is to raise funds. Funds from among Rotarians and also funds from among corporates and private individuals. Uh, one of our major, major funding uh, support has come in recent times from the Build and the Foundation, uh, who have been contributing a lot of human and financial resources you know, to our efforts to eradicate polio in Nigeria in particular, and also in other parts of the world. Uh, the last, you know, the third thing is that Rotarians make themselves available as volunteers uh, to assist immunization and also in some areas, you know, monitor and supervise the quality of the immunization exercise and assist in uh, uh, making corrections where necessary. 
it's one thing to for health workers to know what to do um, when there's an outbreak. Do you think that communities know how to prevent the spread of polio and and perhaps contain it? Yes, um, we, we have a very good structure uh, on ground, which has been bonding over over the last few years of of getting community leaders involved in the in the uh, actual mobilisation of people and also the need to accept you know the vaccines are safe and uh, you know efficacious. But also we have what we call voluntary you know uh, you know mobilisers who are residents of every tiny ward uh, in the northern part of the country in particular, who help to advocate, also help to immunize when immunization days come, and also to bring to our notice any newborn babies who may otherwise, you know, have been missed, you know, by immunization exercise. So we have a good communication network uh, to ensure that, you know, we know where the children are, uh, and also, you know, the, the knowledge made available to community leaders and, and religious leaders uh, to ensure that at the community level uh, a demand is created and uh, we and our partners do all the best we can to meet you know, those demands for immunization. All right, thank so you. All right, thank you for joining us, Dr. Tunji Funcho. Thank you very much indeed for having me on the program. Dr. Tunji Funcho there is the chairperson of Nigeria's National Polio Plus Committee at Rotary International. Now, parliamentary chief whip of South Africa's ruling party, Jackson Tembu, has caused a political stir after he called on the ANC's National Executive Committee to resign for the problems facing the ruling party. This after the party lost three major metros in the recent local government elections and the charging of the country's finance minister with fraud to make sense of these latest development, we spoke to political analyst Ralph Matecha. I think that uh, this is a reflection of what is going on within the ANC regarding uh, President Jacob Zuma's continued leadership. And I think the reason why we hear Mr. Mtembu being suddenly so vocal outside the party it's because there is no space within the party to reflect upon these issues. And I think that uh, clearly uh, Mr. Zuma's allies within the party have closed the ranks, that uh, there is nothing that can be said about critically evaluating his leadership and the impact on the party's reputation and therefore uh, on the country's development in general. So the likes of Mr. Mchembo, who actually used to be allies to uh, Mr. Zuma, I think are finding their space outside the ANC, the only place in which they can defend against Mr. Zuma is only outside the ANC uh, and naturally through media platforms that they attain. Mm. Now, as expected, uh, the Anti-Youth League and the MKMVA came out uh, guns blazing, calling for um, Tembu's head. What sort of weight do they hold within the party um, ranks to make this happen? If at all. They are very dominant within the party. I mean, if you look within the ANC, you find that uh, usually uh, the ANC Youth League, the MKVA, that is the Military Veterans uh, uh, League, and also you have the Women's League. Those are known that uh, whenever they open their mouth, what comes first out of their mouth is their support for President Jacob Zuma, and usually they castigate anyone 
who might uh, raise concerns about his leadership. So the reason, this, this does justify why you see Mr. Mitchell talking outside. I think he might have considered raising this issue from within, but the critical mass from within the party, or at least the dominant faction within the party, doesn't allow this kind of utterances within the party. Mm. Hence, they're calling for for him. I won't be surprised if they say to him that if he feels he needs to leave the NEC, he should do so. Mm. Is it safe to call this uh, sort of a power play ahead of the party's elective congress next year? It is indeed a power play. Uh, people are, are also weighing in as to where would they be once uh, Zuma's term has come to an end. And I also think people are also, they don't want to be judged badly by history, uh, that they've supported this up to so far. So I think that uh, it, it's also a face-saving exercise by those members because a lot of things that are being said now, that are being material, that are being used to cast suspicions on Mr. Zuma's leadership, those, the information has been there all in the past. And the likes of Mr. have actually supported him in the past but I think now they're realizing that uh, the ship is going to sink they don't want to go down with it they still want to have a space in the South Africa that will continue and remain once Mr. Zuma is gone. Mm. And what sort of impact just lastly Mr. Mateka could this, could this have on the country as a whole I mean uh, the ANC is the ruling party after all most of our leaders uh, do come from that particular uh, party people are complaining about a lack of, of leadership at this time particularly with the fees must fall and whatnot. so these battles within this ruling party what sort of um, uh, impact do they have on the greater nation as a whole? The picture that emerges is that of uncertainty because uh, uh, the president is under siege, and what that means is that he's going to spend a lot of time defending himself instead of running the country. So the, 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 when you look at it, it, it's lack of coherence within the policy. There is sub-differences across uh, within the party regarding what government's priorities ought to be. So I would say as a country, the impact of this is that we are in a limbo. We just have to wait until the ANC resolves its own internal problems. And from then, one can then start to have a sense as to where which direction the country would be taking. That is political analyst Ralph Matecha on the line with Zekona Miso. 17.45 Central African time. Here's Wisane Matebula. Good evening. Thanks, as Fumelele. Citigroup has denied being involved in any illegal foreign currency transfer on behalf of MTN Group. Nigeria is investigating whether South African Telecoms Group MTN unlawfully repatriated 13.92 billion US dollars from Nigeria between 2006 and 2016. MTN has also meanwhile refuted the allegations. Citibank made a presentation to the Nigerian parliament last week. Mine workers in Mali have suspended a five-day strike scheduled to begin on Monday following a last-minute plea from the mines ministry. Mine workers had planned to go on strike to protest at what they described as unfair treatment of union, union workers who had been fired or disciplined. Mahamadou Konte, who is executive committee of the member 
of the of member SINACOM, which is the Mines Energy and Civil Construction Union, said the Mines Ministry stepped in after talks failed with employers on Friday, calling for further negotiations. South African-based gold producers, including Rent Gold Resources and Anglo Gold Ashanti, have operations in Mali as the country is the third biggest producer of gold in Africa after South Africa and Ghana. At least eight heads of uh, top South African firms, including Anglo-American, Bartley's Africa Group and Naspers, want fraud charges against their finance minister, Pravin Goran, to be dropped. The top executives of mostly listed firms in Africa's most industrialized nation, ranging from mining, media, retail and banking, say political wrangling is damaging an already stalling economy at a time when the country faced a sovereign credit downgrade. The corporate leaders joined opposition parties and the lists and top leaders inside the ruling ANC who have publicly expressed support for Godan. The South African Reward Association, SARA, says the remunerations of executives should only be determined by company shareholders and not by the government. Master Reward Specialist and Executive Committee Member at SARA, Lawrence Grubb, says government's involvement in the rewarding process may result to unforeseen consequences. Meanwhile, the International Road Transport Union is lobbying governments in the SADC region to adopt the International Customs Transit System called TIR. The system ensures the ease move of goods across borders by harmonizing customs at border gates for road transport. It was ratified under a UN convention head of the Regional Committee for Africa's International Road Transport Union, William Petty, explains more on how this is going to work. And we move now to Egypt, uh, where the country expects to cut its trade deficit by 12 billion US dollars as part of efforts to ease an acute dollar shortage. Trade and Industry Minister Tarek Kabil has encouraged domestic industries to fill the void as imports plummet, speaking as part of Reuters Middle East Investors Summit, Kabil said Egypt has produced about $4 billion worth of import substitutes since the start of the year and aimed to grow domestic industry by 8% in three years. Egypt has struggled to overcome a crippling dollar shortage since the 2011 uprising that ousted Hosni Mubarak. Financial indicators now. The U.S. dollar trading at 13.96, South African rands 10.55, Botswana Pula and 9.85 against the Zambian Kwacha, also at 0.81 to the British pound and 0.91 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,263, platinum $932 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil is at $51.55 per barrel. That's your economics news. Thank you very much, Usani. Sports News with Musibuti.
Good evening, sports fans. And starting off with football news, the South African National Soccer League, together with millions of football um, supporters in South Africa, as well as the African continent, are celebrating Mamelodi Sundowns' triumph in the CAF Champions League. Mamelodi Sundowns were crowned as African Club Kings on Sunday night after winning 3-1 on aggregate against Zamalek. The league has congratulated the coach, Peter Mosimani, and his technical team, the players, as well as the entire Sundowns family, saying it's a special moment in history, not only for Mamrodi Sundowns, but for the entire National Soccer League family, as, also, uh, as well as the Southern African football. At the same time, South Africa's Minister of Sports and Recreations, Fila Mbalula, was in Cairo when Sundowns were crowned champions. He took time to congratulate them on achieving their feat. Everything went according to plan. They knew what they were supposed to do and what was expected. And they stick to the plan. They never jitter. They never panicked. And uh, they stick to their plan and they brought the glory home because the job was done in South Africa. They did not sit back, but they knew that uh, Zamalek will fight till the end. And the boys have done us proud. Mamelodi Sundowns goalkeeper Dennis Onyango says this is what the club has been hungry for. After a very long time, uh, the club has been fighting to get a star on the badge and uh, it's good that we are the first guys to give a star to the badge, to the team but uh, it comes with a lot of pressure because now we must perform every game we come into and uh, we're up for the challenge. Yes, we cannot win everything but uh, at least we've got a, a starting point for now. In addition to the one thousand, uh, rather 1.5 million US dollar prize money, Mamelodi Sundowns will have the privilege of becoming the first Southern African club to play in the FIFA Club World Cup in December, which will be, uh, which will rather will be, be hosted by Japan. Meanwhile, Zamalek head coach Momen Suleiman will stay in his role despite losing the African Champions League final. This according to the club chairman Mortada Mansu. The Egyptian Giants were beaten 3-1 on aggregate by South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns, who won the title for the first time on Sunday. Suleiman took charge of Zamalek, who have been crowned African champions five times, a record only bettered by the eight of um, the city rivals Al-Akhli back in August. Um, um, he guided his team to a 1-0 victory at home um, against Sundowns on Sunday, but a combination of misfortune and misfiring restricted the host to just one goal. Now, Suleiman had been quoted in the Egyptian press as having told Zamalek's management ahead of the final, won by Downs, um, despite a 1-0 defeat in the second leg in Alexandria on Sunday, that he would step down should the White Knights not be crowned African champions. And finally, the International Olympic Committee um, has hired Russian doping whistleblower Vatali Stepanov as a consultant and is helping his runner wife, Yulia. The Stepanovs were instrumental in exposing doping in Russian sport that led to the country being banned from international athletics, while dozens of competitors were barred from the Rio Olympic Games. They are now in hiding in the United States of America. Well, those are your sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-four Central African Time, or seventeen fifty-five now Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest and Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let us recap our top stories. King Mohammed the Sixth of Morocco kicks off his three-day visit to Tanzania. The Zimbabwean government has issued a cholera and typhoid alert. Parliamentary Chief Whip of South Africa's ruling party, Jackson Tembu, has caused a political stir after he called on the ANC's National Executive Committee to resign for the problems facing the ruling party. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Tracy Pumgaard, technical producer Tumelo Mokwena, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za, on SMS, you're on plus two seven eight. Two three three two five nine zero five plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. You can also tweet us. It's Channel Africa One on Twitter. Channel Africa One on Twitter. From me and the team. Bye bye.
mori wanzo shemesa shawe kutubu Sikari chizo ranza ho ukozo na kuze Kari jenda ho, rijizwe sazo Kuduwa maji uriro hora ko uono enza Wamserere, 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 wamserere Sikari na uleme wa wambano mdihe Wabazi watangaza jifia zitihise Mwane nonse, kuno mwagutimvandi kuchinyanja sabi.